practices and criminal activity. Everyone is innocent until proven guilty in a court of law. Proposed fines are exactly that, and they are often litigated, reduced, or vacated. We use available public records, news accounts, and press releases. We cannot warranty or guarantee the details of any of the stories we share, since we are not directly involved with these stories, at least not most of the time. Enjoy the show. This, this, this show is brought to you by Safety FM. And, pardon me, from the border of liberty and prosperity in the highway to the north, this is Safety Wars for Tuesday, June 20th, 2023. How's everybody doing? Hope your long holiday weekend was well. I know mine was. Got some new safety words for him. I got the hat. I got the baseball jersey. Safety words. Got a lot of comments on that online and offline. Someone said it looks like I'm some kind of a gangster. I don't know. So, here we are. Juneteenth was yesterday. Uh, mark the end of slavery. Uh, it's the day that we use to mark the end of slavery in the United States. However, uh, the original uh, Juneteenth was, June 19th was, uh, as I understand it, the end of slavery in Texas. And some of the states did not officially legally end state uh, slavery until 1905. That was Delaware. We're still suffering from the fallout of slavery in this country. Uh, hopefully we're all going to get along eventually and uh, solve these problems. Let's not forget where we came from and where we are now. Like the uh, old commercial used to say for, I think it was Virginia Slims, so you've come a long way, baby. Dealing with women's uh, rights, you have a. We've come a long way with our racial divide in this country. We got a long way to go in some corners of our society, and that too is part of the safety war we're always fighting here. So where have I been? Uh, busy week, man. End of the year uh, parties. We're going to have the summer solstice uh, coming up tomorrow or whatever. What is that? Tomorrow or Thursday, where all I know is that I'm going to have about 38-year-olds and 9-year-olds and 10-year-olds over here tomorrow. We're going to have a big get-together. Uh, my son had his uh, elementary school graduation uh, tonight, uh, this morning, and I Kicked right into my maritime trainer, outreach trainer, refresher from the University of California, San Diego conference. Something, you know, something to really look at here. I, I don't know what this is like. Uh, I don't know if this is a trend. This should be a concern. This should be anything else. I don't know. So the maritime 
trainer refresher, which we had to take every four years of your maritime outreach trainer, was canceled in New Jersey, right? Was canceled in northwest, in the northwestern area. I think, I believe it was Bremerton, Washington, uh, Northern California. And everybody went into the one in San Diego, University in California, San Diego. It's done remotely. You don't have to actually go there, which is nice. It's like a holdover from uh, the COVID-19 stuff. And how many people were there, do you think? Including the trainer and the assistant trainer, for lack of a better word. I don't know what the exact title is. They have two trainers, four people. And... Two of us, uh, three of us were there because of classes being uh, canceled. I think the shipping industry right, is on the decline here as far as shipbuilding. Uh, marine terminals is going to be there. Right? Uh, longshoring is going to be there. But shipyards, which is what most of the people who take that course are involved in, uh, not there. Uh, no, uh, we're getting fewer and fewer ships being built here. More ships being built overseas is the sense that I'm getting. I don't know how the exact numbers, but this is what I've read through the years. And the number of federal shipyards is dwindled, I believe, to two uh, here. Let me do a quick Google on here. Uh, number of federal shipyards. Number of federal shipyards and list of shipbuilders and shipyards. Uh, let's see here. I'm going off a of Wikipedia here. We have in United States, a number of them. Do, do, do. A whole number of them, but a lot of them are closed. A lot of them are smaller ones. So, I don't know. I'm always told that we don't have enough shipyards. There are. Um, here you go. Oh, here it is. Na Nation Shipyards. This is from maritime.dot.gov from 2021. Uh, Nation's private shipyards support $42.4 billion in gross domestic product, right? Shipyards create good jobs. In 2019, the nation's 154 private shipyards directly provided 107,000 jobs, and 107,000 jobs contributed $9.9 .9 billion in labor income to the national economy. And then going on, uh, 20, there are 154 shipyards spread across 29 shapes. There are, are more than 300 Shipyards engaged in ship repairs were capable of building ships, but not actively involved in engaged in shipbuilding. This is from the Biden administration. So there's three 154 private shipyards, 300 uh, shipyards engaged in ship repairs or capable of building ships, but not actively engaged in shipbuilding. This is part of the safety war. What's going to happen with our foreign uh, ships here? Right with the uh, with, uh, if we get into a war 
like World War II. Some argue that we're already in a war uh, with World War III. That's part of the debate here uh, with this. We don't have the capacity, and we all know that safety is about capacity. And one part, capacity and resiliency. Part of the safety war. The, but, you know, I lament that, uh, with that. Uh, let's see, how many S Navy are in, are being built? So, right now, uh, 85 uh, or more are ships are either in the planning or ordering stage or under construction. Okay. All in there. But anyway, I digress. Not a lot of opportunity there. It seems like the most of the shipyard trainers are in, are already working for shipyard companies. So... I don't know, uh, 107,000 workers not required except on new uh, U.S. Navy contracts for uh, the shipping industry. That means the outreach training is not required. So I don't know. What are those things? Something else I heard on the news today. I wasn't able to get this this, uh, on a, a story, but it's... Along the lines of people, young people, a survey came out uh, where young people are not, don't feel inspired, feel that their life has no meaning. And this is either leading to the mental health crisis or a result of the mental health crisis that we're facing in this country. And I I was approached, I deal with a lot of different people, a lot of different families, uh, we were approached, oh, about a year ago, maybe two years ago, at one of a, at a family event, a sporting event, something like that. I memory is a little bit hazy, where uh, a uh, one of the daughters of a friend of the family uh, had said, well, you know, I hate school. I feel like I have no meaning, blah, 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 blah. And I said, you know what? I, I can relate that. I didn't really do too well. In grammar school or high school, I, did, I was a pretty good student, but no, not straight A's. I always took the most challenging programs, so there's no freaking way I was going to get straight A's. But uh, anyway, the uh, I said, look, this is set up for the rest of your life. This is set up. Does your life have to have meaning, some type of Meaning, like, and I think it's a, a result of social media where we're supposed to be working on all these big ideas and we're 13 and 14-year-olds year are asking too much of them. You want to find meaning? If you found meaning and whatever in that age, great. But guess what? If you're, uh, it could be self-limiting. I explained to this uh, uh, girl. So it could be self-limiting. Go out there, see what you like, see what you know, what interests you. That's one thing that I was never uh, exposed to was the whole entire wide breadth of life, the things that you could be doing as a young person. Uh, try different things. Eventually, you're probably going to find out what you like, what you'll be inspired for. And the thing is, how are you going to be effective 
and what you're going to be inspired for. You're going to need an education. You're going to need at a minimum, I'm going to tell you, uh, it's a lot easier if you have a high school diploma, if you have a bachelor's degree, because then you could, the chances of you being able to impact things are much more. But let's not forget, right? The A students work for the B students, right? The C students own the companies, right? Right? And just the way you know, the old story goes, and then the D students do something, and then uh, going on and on, right? Uh, and that, uh, so you have to have a setup. You have to have a basis of your knowledge, of uh, experience, then you're better able to go and impact the world. One of the things is leadership ability. Some people are natural born leaders. Some people learn to be leaders through example, through study, through trial and error, through practice, right? This is what I'm going to be doing tomorrow for my, uh, final exam, for lack of a better word, for the training is a lot of, about the leadership. So if you can learn about how to, how to be a leader, put it into practice, start simple, go hard, right? Then you, again, have a better chance of finding some type of purpose in your life, finding some type of inspiration. And then inspiration and discipline is a very uh, dangerous thing. Because you'll be un unstoppable on that. So uh, we're going to go into this. We're going to take a break for a minute. Then we're going to come back. Sorry I came on late. But we've got, like I said, a lot of stuff going on here. And uh, we'll be back in a minute. In the professional safety community, communication and planning are just a few keys to your program's success. The question many practitioners have is, where do I start? Dr. Jay Allen, the creator of the Safety FM platform and host of the Rated R Safety Show, has built a global foundation to help you along the way. Go to safetyfm.com and listen to some of the industry's best and most involved professionals, including Blaine Hoffman with The Safety Pro, Sam Goodman with The Hop Nerd, Sheldon Primus with The Safety Consultant, Jim Pozell with Safety Wars, Emily Elrod with Unapologetically Bold, and many others. As individuals, we can do great things, but as a team, we become amazing. Dial into safetyfm.com today and surround yourself with a powerful force of knowledge and support. In a world where danger lurks in every corner, one man stands as a beacon of hope. Jim Polzel, a veteran safety expert with over three decades of experience, now bringing his knowledge to you with Safety Wars. Engaging, informative, and always relevant, that's Safety Wars. Join the safety revolution with Safety Wars, available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, and wherever you get your podcasts and videos.
OSHA recordables, catastrophic losses, environmental disasters. You want answers? So do I. This is Jim Polzel with Safety Wars. That's my daddy. That's right, Jessica. I'm your daddy. So we will go and we will go with our regular news and views. Federal investigation finds Jacksonville facility failed to improve worker safety procedures despite nearly 200 violent incidents in 2022. This is out of Jacksonville, Florida. Findings of a federal workplace safety investigation are shocking. Workers assaulted, confined by patients, and suffering broken, broken bones and concussions and wounds from being scratched, bitten, punched, and kicked at a Jacksonville behavioral health and substance disorder facility. Perhaps more shocking is how often and for how long employees at that uh, facility, and it has a whole thing, you know, who operates and everything. We don't normally go into that. Endured regular and often intense incidents of workplace violence. Reports of 182 alleged incidents in 2022, nearly 70% of which required police response in a six-month period, and 10 alleged violent incidents less than two months in late 2022. So there was an OSHA uh, uh, investigation done. Uh, and the agency has for, for proposed $15,625 in penalties. Let's look up that citation. By the way, I'm going to point out that something like uh, it's an outrageous number of people uh, that are uh, killed every year for workplace violence. We're talking like uh, and approaches like the number of people dead from falls. So why this isn't a, a bigger issue, I have no freaking idea with this. Shows you where we uh, put our emphasis in our society. Type of violation, serious. Citation one item one is of the general duty clause where uh, the employer did not furnish um, the Employment and a place of employment which were free from recognized hazards that were likely to, were not likely to cause death or serious physical harm to employees. So uh, basically, the employees were exposed to physical threats and assaults, such as being bitten, kicked, punched, scratched, and, and sexually assaulted when interacting with patients, when providing care, attempting to de-escalate patients, and engaging in daily activities. Assaults have resulted in injuries including scratches, contusions, abrasions, and bites, and they have all the other stuff. So among uh, what uh, OSHA's argument here is that, uh, that there were feasible methods of apply, of, that they could do. So let's go over really quick, and I always have to look this up so I don't screw it up. Four things necessary for a general... Duty clause violation. I always Google this uh, because it's really important that I not mess this up. And as everyone knows here, I don't look at the stories prior to opening them. So you are getting my pure, in most cases, my pure unadulterated commentary here. And last year, by surprise, one of the jobs that were mentioned, I was very familiar with. So uh, that goes into our disclaimer where I'm not usually involved, but sometimes I am. So the four things you need for a general duty clause violation. 
One, the employer failed to keep the workplace free of a hazard to which employees of that employer were exposed. The hazard was recognized. The hazard was causing or likely to cause death or serious physical harm. And there was a feasible and useful method to correct the hazard. So you need those four elements, ands, after each one of those, to have a general duty clause violation. So, uh, again, there was a hazard here. This is according to OSHA, right? There was a hazard. Right, that they were exposed to the hazard is recognized. Workplace violence is recognized. The hazard was likely to cause death or serious physical harm. I think sexual assault, biting, concussions, and all that other stuff, I think that's a shoe in for that one. And now OSHA is into there was a feasible and useful method to correct the hazard. Right? So security officers, no, no trained to respond to aggressive, violent behavior. Doctors are readily available to authorize emergency treatment orders during the night shift when violent and aggressive patients are not responding to existing medical treatment. Create a comprehensive workplace violence program and provide employees who will have direct interaction with patients, including but not limited to and then all this stuff, equip everybody with personal panic alarms, body alarms, or reliable means of communication, provide training on the equipment and ensure it is inspected, make physical changes to the facility to reduce patient attacks, that's prevention through design, and evaluate the effectiveness of existing controls. So, and make sure that's all documented. That's $15,625 in fines on that general duty clause. So what does it come down to? And I've had discussions with people in the healthcare system here. This is a major problem. Workplace violence in, the, in these situations. I know a good family friend works in a corrections facility. And that person tells us a lot of different things that go on with this. She uh, was working as a outside of this in her prior employment. And... Again, problems. The big issue that I see with all of this stuff is, are two things. One, you can't be in control of what the other person's going to do. Just like with driving a car. I had this conversation with my 11-year-old today. He didn't want to put on a seatbelt. I said, look, I'm a safe driver. I said, for the most part. I'll talk to my wife. She has something else to say. So I'm a safe driver, but I can't control what anybody else does or any of the other circumstances on the outside of this automobile. So you're going to put on a seatbelt. Real simple. Or we're not going to baseball practice. <laughs> you know, and that's uh, 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 basically what it came down to. Seatbelt went on. So, uh, and just the worst situation, and that's number one, number Two is you can't control the other people. Number two is a little old thing that we have a problem with in this country. I think it's one of the leading problems that we have with all these government policies. And it's called sovereign immunity. And the government's not responsible for anything. They're not liable for anything. Now you're going to say, well, what, how does this work in with workplace violence? Let's say that this is a, remember, OSHA only applies to private employers. State employers are 
if they have a program, they're covered under some type of state program, and they're doing, um, generally speaking, they're doing a less than optimal, I'll be polite, uh, uh, less than optimal uh, job at protecting government and workers. They are. Uh, what it is. They got rid of sovereign immunity and you could start, you know, like in, uh, like, uh, in certain states where per, uh, uh, the employer is not doing their job, they're getting a criminal uh, investigation. I think that would probably go a long way to resolving the problem. Uh, I mean, I can tell you horror stories with government work and the government workers. Maybe I will one day. Shared it with Jay Allen. He was like shocked, but he really wasn't. Shared it with Sheldon Primus on this network also. And he said, ah, oh, forget about it, man. <laughs> I mean, that's a battle I've been waging for years. But we're still going to wage it because we are in a safety war. Here you go from Gurney, Illinois. An Illinois pizza manufacturer faces $2.8 million in penalties. I think we talked about this last week uh, after an investigation uh, into 29-year-old sanitation works death. And we went into this in depth on the 15th, which was Thursday, I believe, uh, last Thursday. But and this is a temporary staffing agency uh, that exposed a lot of people uh, to a lot of stuff. So uh, 16 willful egregious violations, one willful and 12 serious violations. What were some of the things? Lockout, tagout, machine guarding, uh, fall hazards. Exposing workers to the risk of electrical hazards, not ensuring adequate electrical personal protective equipment usage, and exposing workers to potential eye injuries, and did not uh, basically safety glasses, safety glass issues. And uh, what it came down to was a person died. Uh, what were the details? Severe fatal injuries while working in an overnight shift under the supervision of a company. Uh, and again, temp agency. What often happens is the employer, right? The employer is technically the, I don't know if there's this case, but technically, usually the employer, the paycheck is coming from a temp agency. The temp agency is hired by the host. I'll call him the host employer. So this is where people get tripped up often with this. I don't know if this is the case here, but uh, I've worked with a lot of temp agencies. The host employer tells the, no, gets these workers in from the temp agency and they start directing them as to what to do. They, in effect, become, and I'm not an attorney here, but in effect, as far as OSHA is concerned, they are now acting as the employer, as far as health and safety is concerned. They're giving you means and methods and everything else. So this is the case where you get wrapped up. So if you're using a temp agency, realize, in effect, you are, uh, it's a similar thing, uh, parentis locus, right? Parent in the uh, locality, right? Acting on behalf. You're acting on behalf of the employer, which is the temp agency, you're out there, you're directing them, you're giving them often PPE and everything else. That's why a lot of general contractors 
right? I tell them, look, you're hiring these subcontractors. You can't be careful on how, I'll say, how deep you get into their groove now. Be careful because if you're giving them means and methods and now, now you're, you're on the uh, leash and now this is what happens here with this. And I suspect that's what happened here. Hostess brands. Oh, 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 I'm sorry. I did not uh, mean to say that again. Everyone's innocent until proven guilty. A well-known company faces a $298,000 penalty after federal investigators find company's safety, comma, training failures led to a worker's amputation injury. Uh, inspectors determined the facility did not follow the required uh, machine shutdown procedures. A 29-year-old worker suffered the amputation of a fingertip while reassembling a pump at a company in Chicago, an injury the employer could have prevented by ensuring to shut down and lock out, tag out uh, the equipment for lockout, tag out. 1910-147 to prevent it from unexpectedly starting during maintenance. Inspectors with OSHA investigated after the company reported the December 2022 injury and found the employer did not train workers on lockout, tag out procedures, but you can. 845-269-5772 or jim at safetywords.com. So they got one willful and one repeat violation. And uh, they are now... Uh, oh, oh, oh. Uh, part of, uh, yeah, they're, they're being heavily scrutinized. I'll leave it at that. I have the citation in front of me right here. Let's scroll on down and see what it says. Citation one, item one A, and you always got to love that one A. All right. Uh, type of the violation, serious under 1910-147 procedures did not clearly and specifically outline the scope purpose, authorization, rules, and techniques to be utilized for the control of hazardous energy and the means to enforce compliance, including but not limited to a specific statement and the intended use of the procedure, procedural steps. Uh, but basically, uh, it sounds to me like it was a generic lockout tagout thing, and a lockout tagout has to be specific. Here and they list the machineries here. Machines here was an electric guillotine, a wrapper, and they listed everything here like 15 different machines here. I didn't count them, but it looks like 15. Uh, here and it was $15,000 fine. Citation one item 1B, uh, serious uh, procedure was not utilized to afford the employees a level of protection equivalent. Uh, that provided uh, the implementation of a lot of lockout tagout device. Zero. Citation one, item two, serious. No training on any of this. 15,625. Citation one, item three, serious. Machine guarding issue, 1910212. That was 12,278. And this one is uh, serious. I, citation one, item 4A. Uh, uh, seven foot higher more. We talked about this last week, 1910-219. So if you have something that's less than seven foot tall, got to have uh, high and the hazard is less than seven foot high, got to have some type of guarding on here.
Citation item 4B, vertical or inclined shafting. Again, that's another one, right? Anything less than seven foot, got to have some type of garden, guarding on it. And I'm looking for uh, the unguarded uh, projecting shaft end, did not present a smooth ed edge, 1910-219. Again, a sharp edge, 12,000. Here's another one, sprocket wheels and chains, not guarded. And here we go. Here's the big one. Type of violation, willful serious. Procedures, and this is 1910-147, procedures are not developed, documented, and utilized for the control of potentially hazardous energy when employees were engaged in activities covered by that section. So then develop procedures, $156,000 and some change. Here's another one. Uh, willful serious. Again, no procedures established on this. And what was this? Zero. We have a citation three, a repeat one, meaning that they've done it in the recent past. No auditing of the program. 1910-147-C6-I. Right? Now, there's a repeat one. That's 73000 and change. So there you go. There you have it, folks. As a famous vlogger did, uh, named something, named his uh, videos. Federal investigators find Alabama Tire Shop did not follow procedures to protect workers on a rim and tire fa uh, failure after an explosion. Again, uh, there are guards and things of that nature uh, for uh, air compressors and uh, putting right, putting tires in a uh, filling up tires. Often they have to be in a cage. Uh, Fourteen thousand five hundred eleven dollars. Let's see what they cited them for. Citation one, uh, item one, uh, 1910 tires on a single piece rim wheel were not contained within a restraining uh, device positioned behind a barrier or bolted on the vehicle with the lug nuts fully tightened. On or about July, January 18, 2023, and at times prior thereto, the employer exposed employees to struck by hazards and that employees were allowed to inflate tires on single piece rim wheels with no restraining device or barrier. Wow, I did not know that. And we have 1910-177-G8. Uh, the employer did not ensure that employees stay out of the trajectory when inflating a tire on a single piece rim area. Uh, another one, G10. Uh, basically the same thing. And total number of violations, what was the $14,511? Uh, what I'm trying to see here. Okay, this is basically it. Ocean inspectors learned the air compressor the two workers used had been set to inflate the tire at 110 pounds per square inch and when the tire that exploded had a maximum load carrying capacity of 35 pounds per square inch. Hmm. So uh, apparently the tire struck a mechanic 
when it exploded, flew upward, broke through the ceiling, and landed on the roof. Uh, hopefully the guy did not get hurt. So that's what we have for tonight. We have a shortened program here uh, tonight where we talked about stuff. And uh, how many more minutes do I have here? On the Safety FM network, let's hit resume. This clock always i have to refresh it ah, very frustrating so that's what we got for tonight uh i'll be back tomorrow night god willing uh, probably going to be a recorded program see you tomorrow the views and opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the host and its guest and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of the company. Examples of analysis discussed within this podcast are only examples. They should not be utilized in the real world as the only solution available as they are based only on very limited and dated open source information. Assumptions made within this analysis are not reflective of the position of the company. No part of this podcast may be reproduced, stored in a retrieval system, or transmitted in any form or by any means, mechanical, electronic, recording, or otherwise, without prior written permission of the creator of the podcast, Jay Allen.